This episode of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by Dream Symbols, manufacturers of handmade, hand-hammered symbols at very affordable prices. So please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at Dream Symbols and check them out. What's up, everyone, and welcome into episode 128 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. We have so much to get to. Obviously, Mike just got back from NAMM, and I just finished up a camp with the amazing Carter McLean, so we'll talk about that. In our educational section, we'll talk about how shell depth can affect your snare drum's tone and sound and response. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Zach Danzinger. In our gear review section, we'll be checking out a full batch of mahogany snares from Sugar Percussion, ranging from 2 inches deep all the way up to 12 inches deep. After that, we'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. <laughs> Dude, I love this that. Is so, uh, is oh it's cold there. Yeah, it's cold here. What are you talking about? The groundhog saw his freaking shadow. It's cold, it's cold here. <laughs> you guys didn't get to hear it, but old Dawson is salty this morning. Oh, Woo. man. Yep. Good stuff. Yeah, it was such uh, a tease because, you know, uh, Nam was beautiful, gorgeous weather, and then I came back from Nam, and it was like, it was still okay. You know, I was like, ah, oh, this isn't too bad. And then the past two days, it's nope, bitterness, bitter, angry. Nope. Dawson is back. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we got to uh, keep the sunshine alive for, for Carter while he was here. Uh, we lucked out. I mean, you know, a lot of people that don't travel, especially to the West Coast a lot, may not know that Northern California is not Southern California, and we have a very large state that spans quite a bit of the country. Uh, <laughs> That's true. This is so, a fact. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's like, I'm sorry, Southern California is a lot closer to the equator than we are. We're seven hours of a drive further away, so we do have winter, and the whole time he was here, it was nice, 60 to. 60 degree days we had some cold nights you know down in the fifth i won't even say it anyways cold for us nights and uh but but you know he got to enjoy the california sun while he was here so it was I'm good. literally looking at a map of the united states to figure out you know what are you parallel on the east coast so, mm. but not that that really wouldn't make a huge difference but it, was, it looks like north carolina virginia i'm not sure it's it's a tease because you're almost parallel with New York, but it, the weather is completely not parallel. <laughs> no, it is not. I don't know what do you. I guess you're getting the Pacific. Uh, why are we talking about weather again? My God, how's your I'm, dogs? I'm not. <laughs> my, my dogs are great. They got to enjoy uh, Uncle Carter. Jack enjoyed Uncle Carter's leg a little much. We, we had to put a stop to that. I think I think he was just saying, "Listen here." Handsome fella, this I'm the man of this my house. house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get out. This is my house, and I'm going to show your leg and your jeans how things go down. So, uh, <laughs> but Juno, Juno had a good crush on him, and uh, it's all good. So we, we made it through. We had an amazing camp, and the campers themselves. What what I was most excited about was bringing somebody, whether it be you or JP or Matt or Ash or whoever, uh, in this case, bringing somebody like Carter into this world, this little tiny world that I have of intimate drum camps. And I wanted so badly for Carter to experience what I experienced. And it's a crapshoot. I don't know who's coming to camp, and I don't know if we're going to have the magic that's at camp, especially with another professional drummer in the room. That just obviously heightens the pressure for all the students to have two people staring at them. Um, and it happened, and it was an amazing camp, and cool. uh, I hope that it sticks with Carter for a long time, and I hope that he gets to really just see a different side of this world that we're, you know, sometimes we get a little tunnel vision, all of us, and we forget that there's so many other people out there just trying to stay in time or play with dynamics or whatever. So yeah. it was cool. We, nice. we had a great time. And then we had a clinic up at Dub's Drum Basement the day after. That was awesome. We were just behind this, ma- or in front of this massive snare wall. That God, created cool. did it rattle the whole time? No, they they turned off every snare and had <laughs> muffling underneath every snare. Okay, before we got there, but it had reverb because the shells still resonate. Yeah, so you just hit the kick, and I was like, "Oh, this is awesome!" <laughs> and then uh, Joe Campanelli might be his name. Anyways, one of the teachers there brought in an old vintage Camco for Carter to play in his sizes. Oh, and that's it was cool! Really a cool. Of has, tribute. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And it was really cool. Uh, so, yeah, so we had a great time. And how was Nam? <clears throat> oh, man. Do you want me to be the grumpy old man or the 
positive <laughs> spirit, what, which side do you want first? <laughs> uh, pretend, pretend you're me. But it's 50 degrees out. So yeah. I'm super Mike Johnston, but I'm kind of like, wow, it's really cold. Somewhere in between. Okay. I think overall it was a really good showing for everyone. A lot of cool stuff, good stuff. Again, a lot of just good, functional, thoughtful uh, new products. Okay. Nothing that I saw that was ridiculous from anyone. Cool. Uh, so that was cool. And the vibe was generally positive. There wasn't you know, too much negativity. How was being in a new hall? Um, well, that gets me into the grumpy, the grumpy side. <laughs> it was My definitely the loudest NAMM show I've ever been to. Whoa! By that's far, that's saying something. By far, that is saying something. I think really because when they were in Hall D, you had that back area where I think the sound could kind of go back and then dissipate against the wall. Okay. Hall C is in between two halls, so it's just a tight, airtight kind of a vibe, and I mean, it was just nonstop. And I also think. There's a serious problem with people not managing their booths for the volume. Right. I mean, it is. Yeah. It was out of control. I mean, I couldn't have a conversation with someone. It's like, and like, there's no need for me to be hearing rim shots for eight hours straight. Like, that's right, yeah, not yeah. how you test gear. So, the grumpy side of me says, Nam needs to do more, and the exhibitors need to be more respectful. It felt just rude. It's kind of like if you're in an apartment building and and you have a party every night. That's just rude. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. I agree. You, have you have you been to the London Drum Show before? No. Have we talked about no, how they I manage haven't. the sound. No. Man, it's it's so much smarter. So there is no sound allowed in the exhibition hall whatsoever until you hear this sound this alarm go off and then you have five minutes to make as much sound as you want with no complaints and then that alarm goes off and then it's silence for another 30 minutes oh wow that, that's a it's little like, that's a little too far that's it's kind little. of fun though it's <laughs> kind of like you like when you hear that bell you see every professional drummer run for the elevators and all the all the like you know drummer drummer guys just run for the kits and they just blaze um, well, I mean, so I, somewhere the, in between yeah. that what i what i don't want is for people to feel like they can't play but right. but I also think that there's there's no value of just people coming in and just smashing everything with no intent on buying anything or doing anything other or than learning just smashing. About the, it's it's yeah. You should be learning about the product and and when you've almost figured out a lick and then just got kicked off the kit and you're like okay let's go over to Tama because I can finish this lick over there. Yeah. that's a problem. Yeah, I'm not you sure. Know, the, I don't know what what the purpose of that is. I know there's a certain philosophy that they just want people to come enjoy their drums but you can't enjoy a drum when you can't hear it like how do i know what this drum sounds like when all i hear is rumble and rim shot there's well what if and, and what if i'm being respectful at your booth but the next booth over everyone's blazing licks it's like i can't even hear your drums and i'm doing the right thing i'm just tapping yeah. it but it's like well I can, and i i totally agree i mean uh, every time I go to Nam, I think I'm going there to learn so much about the product, and I come back just telling everybody who had the prettiest drums because I never got to hear any yeah, of them. That's pretty much it. Um, I mean, it's it's definitely the smaller companies that let people go nuts because you know Pearl, you can't play the drums. DW, you can't play the drums. Ludwig, you Ludwig. can't play the drums. Tama, you can't play the drums. Mapex, Sonar, they right. don't you have access. Just, just take away the drum thrones would be solve eighty five ninety percent of it. Yeah, and just have yeah. one yeah, like I mean, there for when you do your demo. So I get it; everyone's fighting for attention, but it, yeah. it comes. I mean, it, it's got to be tough, especially for brand new manufacturers that are like, "Please play my drums." Anyone just notice that I exist? So yeah. I, I, I get it. I just wish I agree. I wish those, you know, almost like sales numbers had to put you in a totally different hall of just like here's the earplug hall. Go ahead. Yeah. Why don't you yeah. guys all just cancel each other out? No one will ever hear your drums. Be yeah. happy. It's obnoxious because you know? none of the other halls are that way. Guitar hall is not that way. Recording, right. microphone halls. So that's me being the grumpy man. But I think it just it just makes for a, a disappointing show for anyone who's actually going there to learn about product. I mean, that's my job is to right. get a more intimate knowledge of the new products for the year so we can share it on the yeah. show and we can share it in the magazine. But I couldn't tell you what Sugar Percussion's new aluminum snares sound like. Because right. all I heard was rim shots. 
That's all I heard right. for for eight hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, like I'm literally saying right to you the the way that I would say it to a 14 year old student of mine telling me about some deep stuff going on in their life. I'm like, yeah, no, I get it, man. And I'm like totally trying to be here for you. It's like, but you dude, know, and you know, then okay, okay. Last rant. All of that yeah. again. When you have people that just go off on the drums, it creates crowds, which then keeps other people from being able to come check out what's in your booth. So there were right. some booths that because they had a crowd all the time, I spent zero time in their booth. Right. Which isn't, I mean, it's not, again, not fair to the readers that I'm trying to serve. It was just impossible. Like, I couldn't get in there to even look at anything. So, right. you know, for, okay, so for so, me as a reporter, it was that, that's the frustrating part. If I was sure. a, someone who just got a guest pass and I can go play everyone's stuff, I got no, I mean, I'm not surprised that you just go crazy when you go in that hall. Yeah, uh, yeah, and especially if a crowd starts forming around you while you're drumming, then the drummer's feeling like, oh, man, yeah. I'm going to get an endorsement. Yeah. If, if this crowd <laughs> right. stays here, they're going to give me the kit. <laughs> That's how it works. I just take the kit with me. It's all good. Um, yeah. So Carter and I were talking about when he was here at camp how it feels like, and, and you would have a better knowledge of this, and I'm definitely not talking about sales, but it feels like the some of the boutique companies are now the companies just on a perception vibe like or at least the playing field is getting a little bit evened out between some of the boutique cymbal companies that are like uh, i take them as serious as anybody else and some of the boutique drum companies where it's like i take them as serious as anybody else um do you think that's just like a social media thing where now they don't have to i I don't know i mean they can get in front of people's eyes or or do you think like that's just a perception thing that's not even close to the reality that's a good question. I don't know for a fact, but I mean, you can guarantee that most of the smaller companies aren't going to be in your local guitar center or something right. like that. So, right, for sure, there's still a clear separation between who has the real distribution and who is just an online retailer or online dealer, or do or doing everything direct. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's some you know some of the some of what was at the show was all they had. So when that's gone, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. all I got. Why do wait six yeah, eight months? Yeah, good point. Good so, point. Uh, so that I, I mean I think just the you're able maybe to I'm check. thinking about more perception of quality like I take some of the boutique symbol companies as serious as I take Zildjian yeah yeah there's there's no reason not to yeah I mean like uh, Buddy at Love Custom Drums he has a new symbol company and I I talked to him for a bit and they're called Legato okay and he he's literally like creating his dream symbols and I know he's a great drummer and I know he has a certain aesthetic that I find very musical so okay. all the symbols he had there i'm like yeah you tweak that in all the right ways you took a, t- a cool. turkish made symbol that you know maybe there's versions that look similar from other companies but yours is different you did something different with it right so that's yeah i know cool. that uh I, when i was at dub's drum basement i played on a bunch of cymbal and gong stuff and just thought like dude this is awesome yeah. this is really good quality stuff and and i just think we're in a place now where if you're represented right on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, you can be at least taken seriously. You know, um, yeah, the biggest totally. problem would be if somebody from GC walked by and said, "We'll have six thousand of those." Yeah, and like, oh, oh no, you won't. That's the, yeah, that's a big difference. Like the, you know, whatever. Let's say the Zildjian K Sweet Crash. You know, if you break your 18 inch K Sweet Crash, you'll have zero problem replacing it, and it'll sound pretty much like the one you had before. Right. If yeah. you find a really choice ride symbol from a boutique company and you, someone steals it, then it's like someone cut your arm off. You, you can't right. replace it. Yeah. So, Agreed. I mean, but, yeah, I think the perception was everyone was pretty even. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see it. I mean, the separation was just in the professionalism of how they managed their booths. <laughs> that was literally right. what and it I came think down that, to. And I think that that also comes down to the whoever's running Pearl right now isn't worried that no one knows what Pearl is, you know, and it's kind of yeah. like, well, I'm sure Pearl would have been like that at the 1942 NAMM show. Because <laughs> <laughs> they'd be like, check out my drums. Uh, yeah, right, yeah, well. yeah, you got to make your splash and however you it can. Sounds like you got, it sounds like you got home without NAMM thrax. You sound healthy. Yeah, I didn't touch too many people. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, 
I heard uh, that Ron Jeanette was going with the elbow. Bump. Oh yeah, he gave me the elbow, and that, Did, that's that was pretty funny because I forgot that he does that, and I'm like, oh, all right, let's let's stand back. He doesn't even <laughs> go with the fist bump; it's full elbow. That's which awesome. essentially means don't even touch me because you're not going right. to elbow bump someone. That's just silly. No, that's one step away from being Michael Jackson and just having a security <laughs> guard put his hand on your chest and say that's close enough. All right, well let's uh, let's get into some education. So. Talking about drums in general, we want to discuss how snare depth affects the sound of the drum and the response of the drum. I've been obsessed with response uh, for probably two years now. Like that's just my favorite part of a drum is how responsive it is. And I don't know that it's really been a big thing on my mind that the depth could be affecting that in any way. I mean, I think that that's in the back of my mind, but in my mind, I'm just looking at the pretty shell and I'm thinking oh, well, I guess this type of wood doesn't have a lot of response, and I guess this type of metal has a ton of response. So I, I know, that, and we'll get to it later, but you did a whole review on uh, sugar percussion drums that went from two inches deep all the way to 12. So what an awesome test for you to have the same drum just in different depths. Yeah, exactly. To study what depth does. Yep, and he did it again with aluminum. So hopefully I'll get those to check out as well and see awesome, see if man. the shelled actual material changes the... the I don't think so it will, first, but... Let's talk about our actual personal drumming. Yep. What is the sh- most shallow drum that you have that's in regular rotation, not just one that you own? But what's your shallow drum? You know, I have a a 3 by 13 brass pearl. Okay. That, so you have one of those pearl piccolos. Yeah, which if you tune it down, it actually sounds really kind of fat and splatty, which will then, yeah. I think that'll feed into our discussion of what we think depth means. And, and do you use that does. regularly? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a recording drum. I don't gig okay. with it. It's a recording right. drum. But I think... And then what's what's your deepest after that? Deepest drum? Six and a half? That I use? Yeah, eight. that you use regularly. I love 8x14s. I love okay. That okay. might be my favorite size, if as long as I have a stand that can accommodate it. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, it, I, I use it all. I mean, I started with... I had a 5x14 Acrolyte. That was my school band drum. And I had a 6.5x14 Pearl Steel uh, export and that was my drum set drum so that kind of right. from day one that became like you know shallow drums are for just quiet playing and deeper right. drums are for drum set playing yeah 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 which yeah. again I think is a myth that we'll, we can dig into sure. after this but um, but then when I got my first real kit I split the difference and went with a five and a half uh, and that became like my drum my one the drum. standard yep. yeah yeah I think I have I own more five and a half than anything else my most shallow drum, but it's almost always on my side, would be a 3 by 13 uh, just uh, A&F Rude Boy. But as far as practical application, it's between my legs, my main snare. 4 is my shallowest, which is that new or old 1920s Ludwig. Uh-huh. And that's and I'm playing that a lot. And then 6.5 is my deepest, and I only own two 6.5 drums. I own the Black Beauty and then a Gretsch Copper. Um and so that's you know that's only spanning two and a half inches, and I find quite a bit of difference between those two drums. But it's like we'll probably discover it's not the difference I would think. Yeah, um, I always screw it up. Like I say, oh, you guys want to go like campers? You want to go super deep and fat? Let me go grab my six and a half, and we detune it, and it just doesn't sound that good. And I'm like, I wonder how high this goes. And we crank it up. And I'm like, wait. This this is what we should have grabbed for the three eleven song. Oh, yeah. This sounds amazing. Interesting. Like, yeah. Cranked up. So, um, so what was your discovery through this testing process? Yeah, so I, I had, um, you know, we'll talk about the sugar drums in particular later in the episode, but I had a 2x14, a 4x14, a 6x14, an 8x14, 10x14, and a 12x14 drum. Identical, otherwise identical, same shell. They were all mahogany. Um, the only difference with the two was because there wasn't enough shell to actually attach the throw-off on. It was bolted to the hoop. And therefore, yep. it had single flange hoops. That's really the only end. What was the really deep one? The 12 had two lugs instead of a center point lug. Because okay. the tension rods just, you couldn't get long enough tension rods. For right. So what I discovered, because I did all the drums, tuned them identically, and went from high to low, and just tried to find where they spoke the best, where they felt most comfortable. Yeah. What um, What kind of volume did they put out? What kind of sensitivity did they have? And the most important thing was what kind of tone did they produce how much tone right um what i found was the center three 
the four, the six, and the eight were kind of like general purpose drums. They had a good balance of okay. overtones. They could handle high and low. They could they could do it. They had a good kind of just what you would want from a snare drum. Responsive, uh, punchy, good tone. You could tune it a bunch of different ways. Versatile. Yeah. The extremes were the ones that I thought were the most surprising. Okay. Like the 2 by 14 my gut said, okay, this is going to be a, a real high-pitched, you know, pistol-sounding drum. What we literally think in our head when we say piccolo. Like, exactly. It's almost like a sound adjective of like, king. Yeah. And I found that that drum, it could have also been the way that the hardware had to be mounted, but that sound wasn't really that satisfying. It was this, it, it really sounded great low. It had this kind of like, almost like a rototom kind of a tone. And yeah, real, I know exactly what you mean. Real compressed. It just had like a real compressed low sound that almost like a frame drum. It had a real kind of earthy kind of vibe. Mm. Um, so it went a lot lower and and kind of wanted to be in that range more than I thought. Um, I've noticed too, and I don't know if you found this since you were recording these. Is even though I definitely enjoy it with my ear it's nowhere even close to what how much the microphone likes that sound from that shallow yeah, drum exactly it sounds like a sample and I, i'm like what plugins do i have on this and i turn yeah. everything off and i'm like that can't be right that sounds like a sample yeah it's i think yeah because there's just not enough shell to really kind of give you a bunch of overtone it's almost like a single-headed yeah. drum in a way with snares on right it. yeah so that was really surprising it didn't it didn't do the high thing really anywhere near as well as the four or the six or the eight or the okay. 10 or the 12 quite frankly right yeah the 12, <laughs> 12 sounded good cranked yeah up. so then you know so we'll, we'll talk about the middle ones as a chunk but the other outliers the 10 and the 12 inch deep drums there wasn't much of a difference between the two in my okay. experience um, but what i found was that they were a lot more they were a lot drier sounding and that was opposite of what my instinct told me. The more shell, which means more vibration, which means more tone. Right. And they actually, to me, they didn't have that. They were kind of just more focused and punchier. So they, they handled, you know, unmuffled medium tuning a lot better than I expected. They definitely rang a lot less, with a lot less sustain than the 6 by 14 Wow. Uh, like, obviously, the 6 was the one that had the most tone. So if you wanted, like, a drum with a ton of tone... Still sounded great. Six by fourteen was by far the most resonant of these. Man, that's crazy. I wonder if that would be the same if if you just did that with toms and your fourteen inch floor tom was six inches deep. Would it go forever, or is it because you'd have to tune it so low it just wouldn't do that? Like, I mean, mm, yeah, it's a good question. With toms, you have both heads to deal with. Snare drums, you really only have one head to deal with because the bottom head yeah. is it's tight and you've got wires smacked up against it. It's just it. weird that there's like this magic sweet spot for the shell of a snare drum yep. to have all this tone, which then everyone puts tape and gels on it, which is awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, that's like to be aware if, if, if overtones bother yeah. you, then don't use a six or a six and a half inch drum, go for something shallower, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, Oh, go ahead. It's okay. So the other thing with the big drums, the 12 and the 14 was obviously you could tune them super low. And again, the, there was not so much sustain, so it just kind of thumped and got out of the way. I didn't have to right. tape them up or anything. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, against my instinct, they were also very fast and responsive. There was a lot of. Snare I couldn't response. believe when when I heard that fourteen by twelve that you played. When I heard you play the high tuning first, I was like, "That can't be right." Like, right? <laughs> yeah. There's no way that the, it, and I couldn't really even handle the amount of response. It's like. My brain is telling me there's no way to get the the note from the top of the head to the bottom head to rattle those snares quick enough. Like, yeah, it still had great response to it. Yeah. Now, did you notice between these from two to twelve inch depth? Did you notice anything volume wise that stuck out? Like, okay, this has a ceiling cap, and I would not be able to gig with this, or was it kind of like, no, you just hit them as hard as you want, and they just keep going and going and going? Yeah, well. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think the the two obviously had a limit to, the, to how much sound it could put out. Okay, it was a, it, it was literally like hitting the rototom or something. Like it's only going to get right. so loud. 
And right. I thought that but the that's bigger, good to know. Yeah. Like, like I, having that extreme tells you like, okay, the shell depth does matter. You cannot get as loud with a two as you could with a six and a half. Yeah. I think that the four, the six and the eight were kind of like you could, you could keep rolling as far as you want okay. to go. They would just keep opening up the four. Um, no, I didn't find it the four. Again, I'm like thinking what I would expect. The four didn't bottom out. The two definitely okay. bottomed out. The harder I hit it, the more that bottom head was just freaking out. It couldn't, it couldn't handle it. And the wires <laughs> right. were just like flying off the head. <laughs> um, the deeper drums were a little bit, um, you know, they didn't have as much output. Okay. So they kind of wanted to be tuned lower and used for kind of that type of vibe. Um, right. Yeah. So I think for me, the conclusion is there's not enough enough distance, even if you're doing a 12 by 14. I couldn't perceive a delay in response. There's, there's not enough distance for you to be able to perceive a distance, uh, okay. a delay. You know, maybe if you did so like if, a sixteen by fourteen or something. You if would I notice. say and and let's say, does that relate to sensitivity also? Yeah, exactly. Like I felt like as soon okay. as I hit the drum, the snare is activated. Now that's definitely part of the craftsmanship in these particular drums. I think if you slapped sure. snare wires on your floor tom, it's not going to work because you got right. a snare bed that's cut <laughs> into the bottom. So if I had if I had, um, let's say a Ludwig. Uh, 14 by 4 or 14 let's say the 14 by 5 Black Beauty that Ludwig offers right now and 14 by 6.5 if I said the 14 by 4 is far more sensitive and snappy than the 6.5 you would say that's incorrect that's in your head right and I don't have either uh, yes. of these I'm just you know, kind of I would okay. say it's probably incorrect because the only difference is you're getting more overtone from the 6.5 if you could negate mm-hmm. the overtone the, the response I would guess would be almost identical Okay, that's cool. I mean, it's so funny because when we do it, we're generally, I mean, if you think about it, most people have probably a five and a half and then they're like, I'm going deep with my six and a half. That's an inch. Yeah, it's not not that big of a difference. (laughs) Right, but we think it is. It's like, well, there's my big dog. Let me get out the big guns. Yeah. Um, And I think we perceive that to be a big difference. And and it is interesting that you're saying that the, the tonality of the six or the six and a half is really what's maybe making you perceive that it's not as responsive because you're just hearing more tone and more drum. Yeah. But, I, the, yep. but the snap and the sizzle was is the same as what it would have been in the four. Yeah, exactly. Five. So, and, you know, the, really cool. the six set in the middle, that was like the most resonant, the most kind of potential for whatever you want to get out of the drum. And then as you went out on either side, it just kind of became a little bit drier. So wow, like the 8 by 14 had some nice tone, but it was just a little bit more contained. And that would be probably the size I would use most often, the 8 by 14. I was just going to ask you if if uh, Jefferson over at Sugar said, all right, you get just keep one, send the rest back. Which one would you keep, the 8? Well, okay, that's a, that's a different question. So most, <laughs> most of the gigs that I do, the 8 would be appropriate because uh-huh. I just need like a nice fat kind of contained but big sounding snare. It would be the 8 by 14. Right. Right. The drum that I thought was the perfect sounding drum was the four by fourteen. Really, it just okay. sounded perfect. You know, everything was just perfectly balanced. You know, I had no complaints about it. It was like this is wow. exactly what a snare drum is supposed to sound like, and it's shallower than anything that I use on any kind of normal basis. Right. So I think the four by fourteen is a size that more people should check out. <laughs> you know, I'm digging mine, dude. I, I think the '90s gave it a bad rap because it was just like piccolo, crank it up, and. Right, which now we know they could have done with an eight by fourteen. Exactly, just crank it up. <laughs> I mean, Travis, <laughs> just Travis Barker always used deep drums, and he yeah, had cranked oh. way up, dude. Uh, John Otto, that Limp Biscuit sound was a either a seven or an eight by fourteen OCDP fifty ply. You know, he just had yeah, it cranked to timbali levels. Up. Yeah, um, that's really cool. And yeah, I actually, I think we've talked about it before, but there's another one of those. Um, what you call it? Uh, vintage online dealers called Really Bro. <laughs> really? That was like Fosgate 12 loud. That was pull out stereo 90s at the mall loud. What the hell? Dude, that was literally <laughs> the one person that I don't ever want to call me. <laughs> oh, that's so. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is rad. That is good stuff. Uh, what were you saying? I'm sorry. I forgot to do no, do I, not disturb button. Give me a mulligan. Mm, <laughs> there we go. Didn't I say before we start recording, could you just mess up once so that we can even out the moron scale? Yeah, I feel like it. I'm leading the category just a little too much. Man. Uh, awesome. I feel better. Okay. So I was saying that uh, there's uh, wooden weather um, 
on uh, Instagram, they do the whole vintage thing, and they just had a, pretty much a matching snare to my 1920s Ludwig, but it's mahogany. It's a 20s Ludwig Ooh. mahogany, and it's a 4x14. And I was like, Ooh. oh, that'd be so cool. <laughs> and it's... A thousand dollars. Hey, that's too much. Yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> it's in immaculate condition. They sent me videos of it, and I'm like, oh. So uh, yeah, well, that's cool. I'm really glad you got a chance to do that, and yeah, really like in the moment, see for yourself. Especially the fact that you got to record it and go back and say, okay, let's see what my preconceptions. You know, yeah. see if they're valid or yeah. Not. I would say don't avoid. Don't avoid an 8x14 just because you think it's too big. Um, right. Because it really does offer something that's a little bit tighter and more controlled than a standard 5.5 or 6.5. And, and don't avoid a 4x14 because you think it's just going to be too too crisp and too snappy or whatever. Can I ask you one final question? Because this is actually probably, now that I'm thinking about my own playing and the drums that I choose off the rack, The one of the biggest things for me is the feel of the drum. Did you notice a, a difference in feel and response, like actual stick response? No. I mean, again, the 2x14 felt like a different beast. It was a totally sure. different thing. It's it was a, a specialty sounding instrument. I thought it was incredibly fun. And, and again, when you tuned it low, it just felt kind of really like soft and, and comfortable. Right. Um, I don't think so. If anything, if but anything, when you had was, the 12 by or the 14 by 12 is in high tuning, you felt like it was a snare drum. I think if anything, it's psychosomatic and you see a big drum and you think it feels different. Cool. You know, I didn't notice That's it. great. I could do the same speed double strokes on all the drums. <laughs> <laughs> Which, for the record, is fast. Uh, that's awesome, man. That's great to hear. All right. Well, let's talk about our featured artist. This man is somebody that came to my world much later in my career, and then I got to go back and research him and just find out how incredibly influential he's been, not just as a drummer, but just as a force in the drum industry. Half the things that I play from Yamaha have been created with his help. And, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, and I mean, he's he's just, and then you just learn more about, he's on what soundtrack, and he's he did what movie, and he, I mean, he's just on everything. So if you guys don't know who Zach Danzinger is, check him out, because uh, it's pretty amazing. Did you before we get into like the whole history and everything? Did you see the uh, the thing that Benny wrote about him recently? No, I missed on it on Facebook. I have to check it out. So, so you know, Zach's doing all of his Zach stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Next level. People, and I, no one yeah. knows what the heck he's doing, <laughs> which he's right. been doing and his I, whole career. <laughs> of course, yeah. It's just now that we have social media, everybody knows about it. So, I I can't remember if Vic Firth posted it or Gretch posted. Someone posted it that wasn't Zach, and. All of a sudden in Facebook, you know, nature, the thread starts of like, what is this? I don't get it. Mm -hmm. This is stupid. And they're they're going negative. And out of nowhere, Benedict Greb just he's like, okay, I can't take it anymore. I normally don't comment, but and then he just went off on like, we are so lucky to have this guy pushing the boundaries of art right now. You don't need to get it. You don't need to understand it. You need to appreciate the fact that the fact that you don't get it is what makes it beautiful and yeah. makes you He's like I want to see a drum video that I have to watch 6 times to even slightly understand it yeah. and Zach gives me that. And it was just <laughs> yeah. like Benny out. And it was really cool cuz it 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 was the palate cleanser for the conversation of like, yeah, I shouldn't get every single thing you're trying to get across in 30 seconds. Yeah. And no, I, I should mean, have to write, watch your video a few times. I mean, you think about we would have no Benny. We would have no Mark Juliana. We would have no – I mean, Zach and JoJo Mayer were friends and foes in New York City just kind of battling it out for who's the guy who's taken it the farthest, this electronic right. thing. Yeah. So maybe JoJo would have abandoned it earlier because he didn't have Zach there to be like, I can do it. I can do it with a comedy And we're not slant. talking about – yeah, we're not talking about 2015. I mean this has been 90s. going on. The 90s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. The, the 90s, Michael. The 90s. <laughs> we're talking the 90s before even – I mean when I heard drum and bass, I'm like, what is this music? I cannot stand yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I mean um, – and the thing is, Zach is still doing it. Like right now, pushing the boundaries instead yeah. of just instead of you going like, "Yeah, man, I saw Zach do that in the '90s." It's like, no, like what he's doing now. It's like, what? Ha ha. <laughs> yeah. Can you even explain to the people like what he's doing to the people to our listeners? Yeah. What I mean, he's doing now. I mean, he's triggering video and audio at the same time to create a visual audio 
experience, right? But it's it's so far beyond triggering. Like they're literally right. when I first started talking to Zach about this, there literally was not a technology that existed that could do what he wanted to do. So he had to kind of force thing triggers and and piezo mics and and Ableton Live. He had to force the stuff to do stuff that it, it really couldn't do. Right. He is literally He's he's not just triggering; he's also manipulating video and effects and all that stuff with his instruments, with his acoustic drums and his pads. And right, so it's not like he hits a drum and it plays a two second chunk of a video that's all pre produced. All the effects right. that you're seeing on it, I'm pretty sure he's also manipulating with what he's playing. The, yeah, where he's well, I don't even think that dynamics. most people even know that what they're seeing on the screen behind him. It's an I improvisation. Think they think that, Right. I think they think <laughs> yeah. that it's a produced video, and he's memorized the video so well he's drumming to the video. It's not like Birdland. I mean, I, I absolutely love right. what Antonio Sanchez did, but he played but to the movie. Thing. That's different. Right. Zach is creating a multimedia experience with just chunks of data that he just manipulates. Can you, you imagine what it's like to be driving in a car right now <laughs> listening to us? And you don't know who Zach is or what he does. We must just sound like we're just like I think the, we yeah, got in. Go see, if you watch the Vic first series, that's the first time I've seen Zach break down what he does. And I think it's maybe five yeah. parts where he kind of shows exactly how he does it. I still don't know how. And he even said that you know in passing one conversation, he's like, "I'm not even sure the guys I play with know exactly what's going on. We just you know we're right. just we're just going for stuff." So. It's, it's, it seems like to me that the goal is he wants to be able to improvise on the drums and have video and audio effects be controlled by that. It's it's just a whole different level. If you think about improvising in general, it's a whole different level of things to keep track of. But I think he knows what those things are. So he's just he. I think he's hearing and seeing it all at the same time, you know, and. It's pretty amazing what he's doing. Um, now, when did you find out about him? Uh, you know, I guess it would have been in the 90s. I just I just started hearing this name, and he wasn't on a lot of records at that time. I think he might have been on a couple Wayne Krantz records. So I got those from, like, Columbia House. But at that time, he was, like, okay. he was like right in that lineage of, of Dave Weckl, Vinny Cayuta. He was playing with all those, that crowd. Um, so I think it was the the first Wayne Kranz record I got, and, and okay. even that you could tell like he was he was going one step to the left of what Weckl and those guys were doing, and it just it was familiar but still kind of like quirky. Like I don't really get what this guy's doing. It sort of sounds like fusion, but I don't really understand the vocabulary. Right. But then one day he just said, "All right, I'm done with that. I'm going to go this whole other world. I'm going to go full in the drum and bass. I'm going to get out of you know quit the band. He, I'm, he, I think he quit." Michelle Camilo's band. Oh, like wow. A, like a dream gig for most people. And I, I, if I remember correctly, he was still a teenager and he just quit and said, I'm going to go in this drum and bass thing that no one is doing. I'm going to play wow. live drum and bass. So he created a That's project. Awesome. I think he played, I think he played the Modern Drummer Festival before it was videoed. And he brought his, uh, his band Boomish. Uh-huh which I put band in quotes because it was kind of, again, sort of a multimedia comedy slash musical thing. Wow. So again, people saw it and like, I don't get it. What is he doing? They're wearing weird clothes. Like, what is happening? Right. <laughs> yeah. So he's yeah. always just kind of pushing like the norms. That's uh, so cool, man. But, you know, I, I later learned that he comes from a family. I think his father was a comedy writer. So okay. it kind of comes from this more performance-based world. Yeah, that not necessarily just like you know real kind of serious music, more comedy, more kind of playful. I, if sarcasm. you want to know about comedy, you should have seen him explain to the crowd in the Dominican Republic what he does with oh, no wow. translator. You were there for that? Hmm? Yeah, we did the. That was my first time meeting him and Mark. We did uh, the festival together. It was myself, Mark, Zach, the janitor that I thought was the janitor who ended up being Gergo Borlai. Um, <laughs> And uh, Eric Moore. And I just kept oh, thinking, wow. like, why is this dude hanging out with us? And then, like, then he went up and played. And I was like, oh, that's right. I'm, I'm an idiot. He's one of the best drummers to ever live. But Zach. So actually, we did have a translator. But Zach, just in Zach fashion, he just gets so excited about what he's doing. He's like, really? You know, it's pretty amazing stuff. And he's excited to finally tell somebody. He he has no secrets. He's like, I'll tell you exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. And he he tells the crowd 
they don't speak English, and he's ripping through the explanation. <laughs> and then uh, you just hear the uh, the translator kind of go, oh. <laughs> and then just say like five words in Spanish, and, and then it's like, yeah, I don't know what's happening. But and then Zach would play, and the crowd would just kind of freak out. It was it was really fun, and yeah. Uh, yeah. it was my first time meeting him, getting to know him, and just think like, wow, what what an incredibly kind and humble human being for for that amount of talent. He couldn't yeah. have been nicer. I think he turned me on at the time to his band, Mister Barrington. Right, yeah. and uh, they were just getting ready, I think, to release their uh, 2015 release, "Can't Turn Back." But if you want to check out Zach's playing, that's it's not him playing for someone else. It's him doing what he wants to do and, and doing it really tastefully and quite musically. Check out Mr. Barrington. They have three albums that I know of. Um, yeah, that came out the first time I yeah, heard that. That felt like you know his sort of twist and sarcastic approach to what we think of contemporary R&B. It was like, I want to take dance yeah. music and make it undanceable. And that's what Mr. <laughs> Barrington, that's how I perceive yeah. the objective of that. Like, I want to take that's this, great. what we think of kind of like contemporary, real funky R&B, and I'm going to just make the groove so disjointed that you're going to be like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. <laughs> it's not drum and bass. It's not really electronica. It's kind it's of more just- funk. Yeah, it's just off center, and it's 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 awesome. And like I said, uh, when you when you meet Zach, and I've seen him a few times since, and he's just a humble, sweet guy that happens to have a lot of genius stuck in his brain. And so he was a, a big part of some of the Yamaha stuff, right? Yeah, the, the early twelve. Yeah, the early DTX stuff. Um, he helped with that. He also most of the the Zildjian the remix line that came out in the nineties was like their drum and bass symbols. Zach helped design right. that. He was also part of the revamp of the old K's that became Karope, and then the old A's, which became Avidus. So right. he kind of would helped them, you know, kind of research and develop that, those lines. Um, what else? I mean, there's been so much stuff. Now he's using, uh, what are these pads called? Keith McMillan pads, which is like how he couldn't find an electronic pad to do what he needed to do. So this company has like this fabric, this smart fabric that... As you move across it or press it, it changes parameters. Wow. So he's controlling all kinds of stuff like that. Awesome. With those. Yeah, there's also a record. I don't know what the heck is it called. He did a record recently with um, Uri Kane. What the heck is it called? Bedrock. It's called Bedrock. So if you want to hear okay. Zach play kind of more what we think of as modern fusion music, that's you know less... less uh, less challenging i don't know it's hard to describe it's it's kind of more expected fusion music check out bedrock i would say um it would be totally fine just from the name of your magazine and your company if you had him on the cover every month then everything would stay intact it's like (laughs) he is a modern drummer Right, yeah, I mean, is, which just, is ironic. It took so long for us to get him on the cover, but it was one of those. He's just he doesn't stay put. So it's like, right. oh, cool. He's doing. He's please writing music for movies. He's doing Alvin and the Chipmunks and all this. Talk about that. Well, then now he's got this other project, Mister Barrington, and now he's messing with video. And it's it's like he. It's hard to find him in a spot where you have six months to be like, okay, this is the time to put Zach on the cover. Yeah, which for sure. ironically means any time is the right time to put Zach on the yeah. cover. In my opinion, amazing. Well, definitely check out Zach Danzing. Is it Danzinger or Danzinger? Danzinger. 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 I'll stick with yep. that. Uh, definitely check him out. He's an amazing drummer, amazing person. You can find his stuff all over YouTube. Uh, you can go to Drummer World, find it there. You can check out the stuff at md.com. And you can obviously check out his band, Mr. Barrington. And their latest album came out in 2015, and it's called Can't Turn Back. And his new project is called Edit Bunker. That's the crazy video stuff. There's, there's there so go. much stuff. I think you just got to gotta give him time. To, you got to give yourself time to digest what to get he's it. doing. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of what Benny said. He's like, I don't want it, I don't want it to be that easy. I want to work for it, and this yeah. is brilliant. Dig it. All right, so we have to thank Dream for sponsoring this episode. Um, they were at the at obviously at NAM and and they had their tenth anniversary symbol. So if you want to check those out, I posted one on the Modern Drummer Instagram feed and it photographed really kind of awesome. It looks super gnarly. It looks like it was like buried in a 
sewer somewhere for 25 years. But they sound really great. And also, uh, they still honored the the PASIC say you know come up and say hey we're a podcast listener and i came for my symbol they were joking but they end up giving the guy the symbol so that's so awesome <laughs> so that's thanks so cool. dream bunch of good dudes over there thanks for being our longest loyal sponsor um and that's it so we have to get it now we can talk about some sugar snare drums okay so i as far as i know it's just jefferson right that's that's the dude that's behind all this yeah yeah yep as far as I know. And he yeah. seems like an amazing human being. I remember he was even doing uh, raffles for like, here, let's all donate towards this snare and then I'll give the money to the fire victims right, and stuff. Yeah. I mean, very cool. Really cool dude. And he sent me one of his cherry drums early on, yep. um, or not early on, but a little while ago. And it was just, it was incredible. Like you said, the craftsmanship is pretty silly on this stuff. So, yeah, he, from, from, my research and talking with him, he, he kind of made his career doing like fine furniture, like really, really okay. kind of high end furniture. So you see, you see all those elements kind of being worked into the drums. So f- for me, the aesthetic and just the experience of holding and touching these drums is kind of unparalleled. Like every barren edge is just perfectly smooth, and there's no jagged edges. There's not a you can't possibly ever get a splinter from one of his drums. Right. You know, like even the. You know his badge is is hand carved and it's in a nice beveled recessed spot in the shell, right? So as far as craftsmanship, these are the some of the finest drums I've ever ever seen. There's no un, you know, there's not inside the shell is, looks just as gorgeous as the outside of the shell. It, it's right. It's pretty unparalleled. So he sent uh, these are all Dave Mahogany drums made from one single tree. So he, oh wow! And so all six. Man, of what these, a great comparison! Yeah, so that's not even the same wood, same, same tree. tree. Yep. So he, and he's told me that that was the goal. It was like I want to use, I want to have this consistent, everything consistent except for the shell depth. So then he could research what the shell depth does. But then he decided, well, I might as well just try to sell them as a as a thing, as an item. Sure. Um. So you know, we already talked kind of talked about what the depth does and everything, but um, as far as the experience of playing his drums, I think the response and sensitivity that we were alluding to is largely down comes down to the craftsmanship, whoever makes the drum. I think you could have a four by fourteen that's janky that'll be really not sensitive. And you can have a like in this case we have a twelve by fourteen that was I could whisper on it and get the snares to buzz. Okay, here's the hardest thing. What the hell are you gonna put in for the audio? You have six snares here. <laughs> well, well, we have links to the post on moderndrummer.com so you can check out full tuning range of all six drums. What I'm going to do is just grab the the medium tuning of each one and just edit it okay. all together. So you're going to hear Perfect. the two, four, six, eight, ten, and twelve. Now, the the ten and the twelve, the downside of those is they have legs. So if you put them in a typical snare drum position, now you have three legs to deal with. Right. I would probably put one off to the left or off to the right. Sure. Uh, and I did even mess around with having just a, a small kit of nothing but snare drums. So I had the four in the main spot. I used the eight as a rack tom and the 12 okay. as a floor tom. And I could tune them to sound like a bop kit, but then I could just always fling on the wires if I needed something weird. Oh, that's pretty cool. Which was super fun. Wow, that would be. I could. I could see Sput just go. Yep, I'll do yeah. that. Yeah, but yeah. like I said, you couldn't. You couldn't just put a snare strainer on your 13 inch rack tom and expect right. it to work. It's. It's going to have no response because you got to have a good snare bed cut into it. Right. Yeah. But awesome. that was a lot of fun. So yeah, these are exceptional and and. Obviously, this isn't all he does. The mahogany had a bit of a drier, darker sound. I have checked out their cherry and their ebony and what is the other one? The yellow one. Cedar. Oh, um, cedar? Is it cedar? Pine? I don't remember. But, you know, so he has a wide range of, of options. What what I like about these drums being stave is that you really kind of hear what the wood does because there's so little stress in the wood. And he, he yeah. told me he chooses that because he, you know, that, that shell construction, there's, you're not bending the wood, so there's no, you're not forcing the tone to go up. So you're hearing like the pure sound of the wood. Um, That's awesome. Exceptional drums. I think, I think if anyone's looking for just a, a piece of history. I mean, this these will last forever. I can't imagine anyone. I don't think you'd ever want to sell it once you get it. It's it, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's give them a listen.
right away what I notice is everything you said during our educational section is correct. I hear the sensitivity. I hear the response. But what I've noticed going through all those, and you and I were both listening at the same tuning range, is that there's character. Yeah, They each have their own character. And I don't know how to put that into other words, but I just know they're not the same drum. It's not timbre because you're getting the same kind of timbre because it's all mahogany. But there's something there. I think it's the balance of overtones to fundamental that is getting tweaked. That's what I said, the balance of overtones to fundamentals. It's weird that you didn't hear that because I said that twice. Um, yeah. yeah, that's okay. I mean, and that's what I, But they all but ring a, out. They all ring out nice and pure. Yeah. The decay yeah. is real even. Even the big drums, even the little drum, it, it the decay was just really nice and balanced. Yeah. Um, I, now, awesome. looking back, I do remember that the, the deeper drums had a little bit more of like a, I felt like it was shooting the sound down more. Which, okay. again, I think just what contributed to, to me feeling drier and more controlled. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's well, it, it, man. It sounded fantastic. All right, well, guys, check out Sugar Percussion. You can go to their website, obviously. And <clears throat> just like Mike said, they make lots of stuff. But this was such a great way to really test out the depth and to do it with this level of craftsmanship where you kind of know, okay, all I'm dealing with is depth because these drums are flawless. So good yeah. stuff. All right, let's get into some of your listener questions. What do we got? All right, first one is from Nick. He says, I recently got a custom set with vintage mahogany shells for jazz gigs. I'm getting ready to order some heads for both batter and resonance side and was wondering what suggestions or considerations you would have for heads to complement this kit. Uh, Single ply coated. Top and bottom. Uh, Top and bottom. Done. Done. Next. <laughs> I just got off the like. What did I when I texted you this morning? I said I'm, I'm on the phone with the quarry and I got five more minutes. Yeah. And I just said, please tell me at Nam. Please tell me you guys just at least showed that drums sound great with single ply heads. He said, Yeah, we had a full kit with single ply texture coated. Just saying, look, our bread and our butter yeah. is still really good. Um, and that's the same for any company, whether it's Remo or Evans. But I have right now on my Gretsch broadcaster, I have single ply texture coated top and bottom. And I just had a camp, and I just had Carter here playing my kit as well. There's zero dents. So as long as you can stay in a decent range, you're not going to mm-hmm. dent them up. Once you get into like throwing down, go to two-ply. But for what you want and what you got that kit for, single-ply coated heads, top and bottom. There you go. And bass drum, you might want to get like a whatever has the pre-muffled ring, but still coated. Yeah. I would think a coated it's version. A, yeah, you could, and I would probably go with a single-ply coated on the Rezo to to allow for okay if i wanted tone i have it if not i'll just throw a felt strip in there yeah. but uh for aquarium it'd be a force one coated for a remo it'd be a what a power stroke three coated power stroke three i really love the renaissance version a little bit warmer than the, than the clear but not as as dark as the coated and then evans would be the eq4 i think is okay what it is there you go you're set All right, next one from casey um says, I recently started a gig that requires precise count-offs, and I've been having trouble finding a device or app that fulfills my needs. Uh, the band has a very tight show with little to zero transition time between songs. I need to be able to save songs and set lists by name and quickly switch songs with one hand or a foot switch while playing so I can count off the next tune. I've tried metronome apps, and I've been looking at the Tama Rhythm Watch, but they all have their drawbacks. Do you have any suggestions? That's all on you, buddy. Um, well, I think if you have a laptop, then you could program your whole show with Ableton Live and have it just, you, you could just, I mean, literally you could click an arrow on the screen and it jumps to the next song. That uh, I do believe the regular metronome app has a feature where you can tell it how many measures to play a particular tempo and it'll move down your set list. So if you know your song is, whatever, 200 measures long, you can just put that in and then by the time you look down, it'll have already switched to the next tempo and that's a fun night just sitting there be like hey babe i'm gonna count bars for superstition (laughs) by uh (laughs) it's gonna be great it's gonna be great yeah so i think Uh, i mean i think there's probably ways to to do it other than you know that might just take me more i think i think the laptop is the great idea yeah that's how i would do it because you you can just i don't know what apps there might be now but i use ableton live for that you can just have your whole set list in scenes and then you just click the arrow and it goes to the next or you can have a foot switch that'll automatically go down to the next one right um okay we've got this one's from david 
Um, when I practice, I play along to an iPod with noise-canceling headphones, and to me, the drums sound very close to the recordings to which I'm playing along with. However, when I take the headphones off, the drums sound flat, muffled, and tinny. Is this the way it should be, or are there ways to make the drums sound full-bodied without using mics and amplification? Is there a way to tune the drums where they sound similar with headphones or with the headphones off? Well, no. I mean, you're, you're playing along to somebody that spent $286,000 to get those sounds through every great preamp and EQ. That was a little bit of an overstatement on the cost. It's usually a little less than 286000 Usually a quarter of a million is too much for your drum tones. But but no, I mean, that's, that's what... Uh, I would say if you were recording or playing along to a jazz record, yeah, you could probably get it pretty close yeah. because of the way yeah. they record the drums. But no, if you're playing along to something that's close mic'd, yeah. And headphones, I mean, there are so many people that play with those Vic Firth headphones because they mute all the highs and mm-hmm. you just have this thumpy thing going on and it's kind of fun to play to. Yeah, it sounds cool. I mean, especially if you're playing along to like Sealy Dan records or something, that's, that's totally. the sound because they were taping up the drums. So that said, I would say... If you want your drums to sound like something from the 70s, then you've got to tape the crap out of your drums. Put a bunch of duct tape yeah, and man. tissue. Or those good old Remo muffle things. Those Carter just experienced those for the first time in his life. Really? Dub's drum bass. Our warm-up green room was their private drum lesson room. And he goes, what are those? And I'm like, you've never played those? <laughs> no way. And, and then he's playing them, and he's like, yeah, I guess they would be good for teaching. And I go, no, no. People use those. <laughs> I had those on my kit, not for teaching. In the, in the 90s, I had those on my kit because they were on my kit. And they'd make um, your drums sound perfectly EQ'd and dark and deep. And, yeah. and I don't know if the crowd heard it, but I was back there. Carter's like back there kind of, we're just hanging out. He's warming up. And I'm just playing uh, Wild Thing by Tone Loke. And I just couldn't stop playing it because he had a 10, a 12, and a 14. I'm like, this is so awesome. And it sounded like a sample. So, yeah, you could use those Remo muffles uh, or muffling rings and uh, or just tape them up. I think that'd be great. Yep. So that's it. So if you have any other questions, we're getting working our way through the old stack that's been here for a while. But send them to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We have a couple audio questions as well. We'll try to get those in. And we forgot to shout out to Adam for his intro beat in this week's for episode. His, his dope groove. I we're appreciate only 55 and, uh, minutes in and we're now just I finally know. crediting the intro. Poor Adam. <laughs> he's just listening. He's like, damn, man. I, not gonna I, I really put some time into that. <laughs> Guess you're too cool to talk about my groove. Well, you know what, Adam? Chalk it up to jealousy. <laughs> Chalk it up to jealousy. No, thank you so much for that groove. Uh, it sounded awesome and it's always fun to do the intro and talk over your guys' beats. It, it just makes this thing so much more organic and fun, and knowing that you guys are a part of it with us, it's really cool. Uh, so before we get to our outro groove, we've got some picks of the week. And uh, I think you and I are both going uh, pricey. This is not just a video you can watch on YouTube. Yeah, mine are too pricey. So I got to check out the... Uh Ultimate Ears non-custom molds that they have. I don't know if they're new, but I checked them out at NAM and then got a pair. They are the UE 900s. Yep, 900s. 900s. So they they have the same kind of like body as a custom mold, but they have you know the the different size rubber, uh, whatever you call them, earpieces, sleeves, sleeves, which is cool because it came in a box with a whole with a whole rack of like tester. Uh, earpieces so you can kind of find the right size before you actually put the thing that you're going to use on it which is kind of cool cool. so you're not like getting a bunch of them dirty that you don't need to uh so but these i mean i've used a lot of of non-custom old uh earbuds these gave me a whole different living listening experience um it made me excited to listen to music again which was really i mean it was I couldn't believe it. I'm like, yeah, they're going to sound good, but I know what, what good earbuds sound like. But they were just so clean and clear. And normally my biggest complaint with earbuds is the stereo separation gets kind of blurry. Like there's just some kind of like fuzz in the mid-range that makes things, you know, it sounds okay, but I don't feel like I'm in a studio right. listening to it. These, it was like the, the far left and far right were on the like the back side of my head. It was really wow. cool. So just listening to like Matt Chamberlain's Comet B record, which I've listened to 8,000 times. Right. I put it on with these earbuds. I'm like, holy crap, there's a layer of distorted drums on the outside of the stereo field that I'd never heard before. Like, it's a sep- it's a totally separate drum track that I'd never noticed was there before. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. mean, these are, you've got a quad driver, so you've got a high, a mid, a sub, and a low. 
And then it's got a three-way crossover so that it's going to keep everything separate and activate it only when it needs to be activated, clean. which is really cool. Yeah. I mean, they list for like 400 bucks, which for what the experience I had with them, worth every, every dollar of that. For sure. Okay. So here's the next question. No matter how good they sound, you're not going to wear them if they hurt your ears. Are they comfortable at all? Um, yeah, I mean they're as comfortable as any kind of earbud that, that has you know that go down this into much. your ear canal. Right. You know, they don't. Yeah, yeah. It's not like the I mean, the Apple ones that just kind of sit on the outside. These go like all the way down to your eardrum, essentially. Right. I mean, for me, so I'm wearing while we're doing the podcast. I'm wearing. You've got your in ears. I've got my custom mold, my UE 11s. Um, and the ear itself, no problem at all. The ear canal, nothing at all. It's beautiful. It's the most comfortable thing. But sometimes, like if I'm on a long flight that's maybe over five hours, it's that wire that goes over your ear that oh, just yeah. starts wrecking me, man. So, But yeah, I, these, I can see. I don't know if your custom ones have this. They, they have like a swiveling uh, connector for the cable. So you can actually oh. roll it forward so it's not even touching your ear at all. So if you're just listening with you know your phone in your lap, you don't have to have it rolled over the back of your ear. It just, Why you can, don't I have that? Yeah, you might want to ask him about it. It's it's really I'm an, a nice. I'm an feature. artist. <laughs> Why didn't they tell me about that? Uh, no, I can I can see that on there. That's super cool. It's a nice and feature. It just, and it also has yeah. the you know the the volume and speaker on the cable, so you can use them with your phone and everything else. Oh, you can. Oh, um, yep. there you go. So yeah, check out the Ultimate Ear UE 900s. Uh, so high end in ear monitors without being custom molds. So and uh, last thing because I definitely talk about this a lot, is one of the things I love about custom molds is the isolation. How is the isolation on these? Do you it feel was, like you're really hearing the music? Yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, the when I used them in the recording studio with my full mix coming through, it wasn't, like, ideal. I think I would still use custom molds or headphones. Uh, okay. I'm not sure why. I think maybe because there was more mid-range that, that, you know, as a listener is awesome, but when you're tracking, it could be a little confusing. Sure, uh, but cool. I mean they were they were awesome. I used them on the flight. I didn't hear anyone talking. I didn't hear any intercom messages. <laughs> I didn't nice. know. We, I didn't know we were back in New Jersey until we hit the tarmac. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Sweet. All right. Well, my pick this week is it's going to be a soft opening pick, meaning that we're going to review this in full later. Mike has one, and I have one, and this is the Yamaha EAD10 drum module. And the reason why I want to make it my pick is I think it's going to take two or three mentions of this thing to get people to understand what it does. I put a picture up of it on my Instagram channel, and instantly I got people saying I would never use that thing because I don't like triggers. And oh, I think yeah, yeah. I think what I, I had uh, actually the guys from Yamaha they were here yesterday uh, after Nam made the flight down, which was it was amazing. I had the actual EAD engineers and the DTX engineers in my building to walk me through. Watching one of them operate my DTX kits, it was like watching Neo. It was like the Matrix. And they were just like, oh, you wanted to do that? There you go. I'm like, oh, I didn't know how to do that. So anyways, um, what I said was, or what I was letting them know, I said, it's just the form factor. The form factor makes it look like a trigger. Mm -hmm. And that is, at least for me as an acoustic drummer, that is the least important function of this entire thing what people don't understand is there's two stereo there's a stereo mic setup inside that box that's attaching to your kick drum so the yamaha ead 10 drum module will review in full but you just put this little brick on your bass drum and then it goes into a brain and your whole mic or your whole kit is mic'd you're done and And there is a trigger element so you can change the kick drum sound if you want to right Right, and you can mix it in with the kick drum sound it's getting naturally. So, mm-hmm. but for me, just as a teacher that has students that want to record a video, this is pretty. It's like there is no, there's no interface, there's no DAW. You just go straight out of this into your phone, and you're set. Yeah. And when you do that with their app, which we'll talk about later, then you're really set because their app films you. So, mm-hmm. and it it'll you could put in a, any song in the world. Put in. You know, the streets have no name by U2, and it'll map a click track to that song, and it'll count you in. That I did not know. That's crazy. It's Well, that's the problem with this thing is it does too much stuff, so people like me keep talking and talking and talking, and then it's like, you should just told me it was a mic. I would have bought it. Yeah. It's like, so it's pretty cool. It's the Yamaha EAD-10 drum module and trigger pickup. Uh, it's 500 bucks, and if, if you want to just mic your drum set, your full kit, 
with just one little thing and then be able to have a knob for reverb and a knob for compression, um, you can do that. Yes, it does. You can add a triggered sound to the kick if you want or effects to the whole kit if you want. It's pretty cool. So I figure since you have one and I have one to test out, we'll just do maybe like even a little drum duet. I'll send you a track of Mm -hmm. a melody and you play a groove of it or something. We'll just say this was all done with this one thing. So um, so there you go. That's our picks of the week. That's crazy though. That, oh, it makes I no mean, sense. Two microphones and a trigger module and a trigger and a system brain. and a brain and an app that's a video editor processor. Five hundred bucks. Yeah, four ninety nine on Sweetwater. Yeah, that's insane. Good now, job. have you had a chance to try yours yet, or because I know you just got it? No, it's still in the box, which is so frustrating. Okay. I've had too many other things I to told, mess around with. I told the Yamaha engineers. I had your box for four days and didn't open it because of my fear of setting up electronics. <laughs> and they were like, that seems to be a pretty big problem. Nobody wants to set this up. And I said, I could not believe that you take it out of the box and Mike clock yourself. There's no way it'll take you more than 60 seconds to actually have all your tones. Yeah, that's crazy. from the box. I mean, you literally put it on. There's two wires that go into the back of the brain. And as long as you have a power outlet nearby, <laughs> you're done. That's the whole thing. And then um, we'll talk about it in the review, but you can calibrate it too. you just jam with it on in calibrate mode. And then it says, OK, that's how big your kit is. Let's reduce our stereo field because you're only playing a four piece. We don't need it to stretch this wide. And you seem mm. to be really loud over on the right side of the kit, and not on the left. We're going to bump the left and, and then it calibrates and your drums all sound nice and even. Eh, that's a freak show. That's a freak show. It is. It is. It makes no sense. Let's get the hell out of here. All right. Who's kicking us out? Uh, this is going to be somebody else that is playing a slamming Tom groove. And, okay, here's what I need to know. Uh, who Who's the outro groove from? I don't know who it is. Drum Onimity. <laughs> I literally don't oh. know who it is. Nice. I think he's a Mike's Lesson student. Oh, yeah? I actually... I think I at some point had to tell him like, "Hey, man, you need to put your name on our website because I don't like, I don't like Tom and Drummer eighty two. I want to know your <laughs> name." Um, so I need to know from him: Is th- are you doing this by yourself? Because the hi hat goes through the tom part. <laughs> so are you going open handed on me? Maybe he's open handed. I want to know. Or are you monkeying around and overdubbing? <laughs> Better let me know. That stuff drives me nuts. Anything drives me nuts if I can't physically do it. I'm like, ah, I can't play that beat. Oh, and to the uh, fact that he's only known as drum anonymity. <laughs> he's like, I'm not telling you nothing, Johnston. All right, buddy, have an amazing week, and I will talk to you next week. You too.